Welcome to Prepare for Takeoff. I'm the creator and host, Terry L. Cyrus. We're the podcast dedicated to amplifying black excellence. Every week, we sit down with proven professionals or rising entrepreneurs who are making a difference in the community. This week is no different. We're sitting down with somebody that I go back 30 plus years, telling my age. <laughs> somebody really, not just a fr good friend of mine, this is my fraternity brother. Shout out to the Theta Psi Q, Spring 86. It's no other than, none other than Dr. Joel Bratton, aka Smoke. What's up, team? What's up, dog? How you making out? How you doing? Hey, man, I'm good, dog. You know, blessed and highly favored, man. There you, you, know, there you go. There you know you what I'm saying, dog? I know you down in Maryland doing your thing. You know, we, you know, we, 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 we talk all the time, bruh, and just wanted to give you, you know, your flowers. You know, I'm extremely happy with all of the success you're enjoying. And, you know, you're somebody that you're, you're one of the, you're one of the bros that I, I consider to be a scholar. We're all scholars, but you know, right, right. you, you know, you, you, you represent a whole nother level. You went and got your PhD and you did that um, by way of utilizing all of the resources that are in the HBCU community. So I wanted to shout you for that and just kind of give the viewers and listeners the opportunity to kind of walk through your journey, man. And they can kind of get a better understanding of how you got here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm ready to roll. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So I know, you know, be, be, be more born and bred, correct? Born and bred. Born and raised in, a, in Charm City, brother. Charm City, Baltimore. Right. Shout out to B more, man. So what was that like growing up? I know B more, you know, we, you know, we, we associate that with the wire and, and a lot of the different yeah. things, you know, like Jay-Z said, I'm gonna go harder than Baltimore. So what was it like? <laughs> what, what was it like growing up in Baltimore, man? Well, man, let me tell you, man, first of all, thank you for this opportunity as well, man. And, and, and you doing big things as well. Um, but you know, Baltimore is like any urban city. Right, any urban city, and you can look at even West Virginia, but Dunbar, you know what I'm saying? You got that urban feel, right? And so, especially mm -hmm. in my era, right, coming up in the 80s, right, you had just a plethora of drugs and just the crack, the heroin, everything just was just rolling, right? The Wilder gave a small depiction of that, right? But it gave it, it you know, it just highlighted what people in inner cities face, particularly when it comes to the drug game, right? Um, and so, however, you know, you don't have to be a part of that. You know, you can decide to do some things different, right? And I think a lot of times people get caught up in the middle of it because they feel like it's, you know, the thing to do, you know? It's kind of like a rapper, right? Sometimes he rapper be talking about rapping about all this hard stuff, and they did this, and they ain't did none of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so they say controversy sells, right? And so, you know, the wire only gave a small depiction of what what transpired, but also you can take the wire and put it in Detroit. You can put it in Chicago. You know, any urban city that's 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 dealing with poverty, you know, homelessness, incarceration, the mass incarceration, um, and the education system. And mm -hmm. so, you know, people, you know, particularly our presidents, they run on, you know, hope, right? You know, mm -hmm. Jesse Jackson ran on hope. I remember when he came to West Virginia, right? And then Obama, he talks about hope, right? But when you have people in these inner cities, they can't generalize hope because, hey, 
when they're walking out their doors, it's about it's about survival. You feel right. me? And so and so, but what I always tell people is this, right? Particularly young people, you don't have to be a product of your environment, right? There's always pathways to get out your to get out your environment. Get away from the things that you think will hold you down, right? And so when you think about a lot of the, you know, you know, not so much, well, some of the rappers and some of, you know, old school folks like Marvin Gaye and them, you know, they, they talk about different stories in their songs, right? You know, Save the Children, stuff like that, right? So, so inner cities, man, has had their challenges and they will continue to have their challenges if people don't get out and really say, look, I want a different mindset, you know? And so this brings me to my book. You know, I, I wrote a book, man. And so this book says where I started, where I started is not where I was finished, right? Because mm. you can always start somewhere, right? But it's about where you finish. And and, and if you stay in that same rut, then you're going to stay right with those same people. Absolutely. So yeah. now I know, you know, because of the crack epidemic and then heroin before that, and now we're back dealing with the heroin epidemic again. Now, was there a time in which when you were like a shorty, let's say nine, 10 or 11, was, did you see the transformation from what Baltimore um, was then to what it became as it relates to the stories that we seen depicted on the wire? Well, you know, again, it's about hope, right? And sometimes people don't know it's going to be hope, right? Mm -hmm. However, at nine and 10 years of age, right? You know, your mindset is not really there. Right, but you see all the drugs, all the prostitutes, everything. What I, what I call, you know, a lot of the social ills are right in front of you, right? Me in particular, and some of my friends, our some of our parents, you know, kind of removed us from that that stigma, right? They try to put us in in, in a different place so that we didn't get involved with that with, with that type of life, right? However, some people some people did because that's all they knew, right? It was generational. So when when you have generational stuff, meaning that when you have uncles and cousins that's into that 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 drug game, a lot of times it's going to filter to you, right? However, when you have parents, some parents like they they raise you in a way that hey, I don't want you to go in that direction, right? And and that can come with. Um, being involved in activities. I was in, involved in, in all types of activities at nine and 10 years of age, whether it's going to the recreation center and playing basketball, playing, uh, just playing, you know, playing pool, you know, whatever the case may have been during that era, right? And I got involved in Pop Warner stuff, you know, football on Saturday. So it kind of took me away from all, all that mess, you know, I was I was going to practice every day. We had games on Saturday, so I so you know I ain't had time to really get out there and hustle. I ain't you know I ain't had time for it. And my parents had me in that structured way, right? Right. And then I came from a single family household, right? They say statistically that if you come from a single family household, you're gonna be this, you're gonna be that, you're gonna be in you you know you're gonna be on drugs, you're gonna be in jail. Look, you can't believe the hype. I'm a prime example. I could have I could have decided to say, you know what, I'm gonna be in the streets. I'm gonna be in the streets with my friends. Some of my family members went to jail and, you know, did their thing. 
but I took I took a different route. And so that was, you know, you know, that's part of my story to where I'm at now, you know. And so my hope is mm-hmm. that I but when I came back to Baltimore, um, I was able to speak with young people and just say, Hey, it's a different it's a different story because we all got a story. You know, I got into man, look, when I came back to Baltimore, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? And I remember some of my good friends, and they hustled. They was in the drug game, but I never, I, you know, we were so cool. I could hang out with them and not be involved with what they was doing. But I, but I had that entrepreneurship mindset. So when I came home, man, we we had festivals here in Baltimore, right? My friends, we would we would we would buy food in bulk, whether it's chicken, fish, crab meat. And we would sell it at our festivals. One of the major festivals we had in Baltimore was called the Afram. It was an African American uh, festival where everybody was there for that for three or four days, right? And we sold we sold food, and we did it for like two or three years straight, right? And then you know I, I worked two jobs, right? I had a I had a, a full time job and I had a part time job working with young people, right? At a, at a at a like detention center called the Woodburn Center, right? All the bros worked at this place that went to Morgan or just wanted some part time work, right? But in the midst of that, we didn't look at it as making some extra money. We were like, look, we're gonna try and mold these young people. We're gonna try and mold these young people. We're gonna try and put them in the right path, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you ain't gonna be able to you ain't gonna be able to save everybody. But mm-hmm. the intent was definitely purposeful and intentional of what we were trying to do. Right? Mm-hmm. And so just from there, man, I just like, look, you know, two two organizations I call organizations is uh that I'm that I'm afraid of. That's the IRS and the criminal justice system. So when I had that mindset, hey, I was on the straight and narrow. Now now ain't like I didn't get in trouble here and there. But but when it came down to some real tough stuff where where it could have Put me in behind bars. I was like, nah, I ain't doing that. You know, I mean about that. That ain't about that. Hey man, listen, you and me both. So now you spoke about you know being um you know in all kinds of different activities, and I know you were all, you were also a track phenom in addition to yeah. you know someone who participated in Pop Warner, Pop Warner, and I believe it was your success on the track and field that led you to West Virginia, correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it, it led me to a, a lot of different places. Um, just to name three. I mean, I was highly recruited. Um, and yes, track sports was just like, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, you know, my teammates, you know, and a good portion of my teammates were, were bros. So when we was in high school, we we had a you know we had groups in in Baltimore, right? So one our group was called the Omegas. So we would we would still like damn we're gonna be we we we're gonna join this beautiful fraternity someday, right? Because our coaches were the bros. Some mm. of them, right? And so we was like, man, this is what we're gonna do. Like, so I had that mindset wherever the college I was gonna go to, that I knew I was gonna be the bros. I just knew it, right? And so yeah, I was really good in track. 
and I ran the the two mile relay, which which all four of the of my uh, teammates were all we all bros. Scooby, who went who went to uh, West rest in peace, went to West Virginia mm-hmm. State. Um, two other brothers, uh, Warren and Marcus. Warren, I mean, I'm sorry, Marcus, rest in peace. Both of them went to Pi Chapter, Morgan State University. So the four of us was on a two mile relay. Mm. And did we know we wanted to be bros at that particular time? I'm not going to say definitively, but but we ended up pledging. Ron pledged 84. I pledged spring 86. Warren and Marcus pledged fall 86 pie chapter. Mm. Crazy, right? And so um, just just the track, just being around a bunch of dudes who, who had one purpose in mind is winning. Our track team was very successful. Um, and there were people on the track team that, you know, they were really good running track, but they also had some issues outside of track, you know. So, so again, it's all about what you want to do in your life. Like, if you want to you wanna be an athlete slash a thug or a criminal, mm-hmm. then that's what you're going to do. Right. But you could be an athlete and say, I'm going to go, all, I'm going to run this thing all the way through and try to go to college. And, and, and go from there. Um, but we had a really intense program. We had some great, for me, you know, again, come from a single family household, my coaches, just my peers. And then I had cousins or I had one cousin who ran track, you know, and so his friends, they kind of molded me. I ran with them. So I still had a male figure in my life. From from start to finish, from Pop Warner to college, and even now mentors, you know that I that, that I uh, confide in. Yeah, yeah, yeah bro, th- bro, that's dope, man. I mean, to just see how everything came full circle, and, right. and once again, rest in peace to Scooby, man. He's truly missed. Um, you know, he was somebody that I always seen as a uh, a role model, being from West Virginia, and just seeing that, I'm like, wait a minute. So I knew I too wanted to be the brothers at an early age. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm at school and the girls are losing it because they ran into school and they said, oh my gosh, he stepped for us. Man, you thought yeah. school was like a rock star. They say, oh my God, school yeah. stepped for us. And this at 30. And then to just see like how, you know, he had this, this, this energy, this glow, and it extended beyond the community. And I mean, that wasn't something that he had. He just had this personality that anytime mm-hmm. I would meet the bros and they would find out I was from Theta Psi. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, you know, Scoob is my dog. Whether, right. whether he running into Scoob in DC, every time he seen me, man, he always had, you know, he, he was bro, what you need, what you got. I mean, even um, and then the success that he had, I know, unfortunately, right. he's no longer with, he's no longer with us, but uh, I, I, he was like one of the first people who that I knew to be, you know, who's the bros at an early age who was doing phenomenally well for himself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always had these high aspirations, but I didn't. Necessarily, I knew where I wanted to go. 
I right. didn't, I just didn't necessarily know how to get there. So right. it's kind of similar to what you said, you know, although you may have been from a one uh, from a single parent household in inner city Baltimore, but the bras kind of served as a foundation oh, yeah. to make you to, to, to allow you to see what the possibilities would, could consist of if right. you stay focused, if you surround yourself by like minded individuals. So that was something that, you know, I, too. You know, I picked up on, you know, I, granted, yeah. you know, I'm from, you know, a household that includes a mother and a father. My my dad wasn't having it. You know, my <laughs> friends nicknamed my dad, you know, Sarge. So yeah. Yeah. I, I had that accountability. But there yeah. were all kinds of things that even growing up in West Virginia that I was around. I mean, I and, and again, this is West Virginia. People would think, oh, wait a minute. Number one, you you always you know, hear the shock in people's, you know, um, response when they find out you're from West Virginia that right. there's melanated people in West Virginia. I'm like, not only are there people who are melanated in West Virginia, but there's some turn up in West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, I, I can remember going to school and kids getting their cars impounded because let's say they didn't purchase those cars. Right. <laughs> or, say, right. People, right. or people were driving other car, people's cars to, um, to school and right. they were and, and they were holding those cars as collateral right. because they decided that they want to you know jump off the stoop and go into the drug trade. Right. And and what I will say, like despite how some of those, and it goes back to your book, and I don't want to steal the thunder from your book, yeah. but I know many of those individuals who, although that might have been where how they started their journey at fifteen right. or sixteen. Many of these people are extremely successful business owners, people Absolutely. who are community leaders, et cetera. So like you said, it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. It's exactly. And, and, and that's key. You know, um, we can always start something, right? But, you know, you can go through your ups and downs and, and trials and tribulations, right? But the end of it, where, where have you done for it to be successful? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, and so, you know, this book was really like um, an opportunity for me to really like express, you know, where I was in that space. You know, you know, the chapters range from fatherhood to relationships, uh, education, um, social justice. Um, and then recently this whole COVID pandemic type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's not just a, you know, it's, it's a memoir, but it's also a book kind of like a self-help book as well. Because someone can read the book and also, damn, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe I remember doing something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then also it's a way of, of, again, not letting obstacles stand in your way. Regardless if you, you know, you have a bad education, that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, conquer that, you know? Just because a father wasn't in your household, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful, right? Um, and so what this does is like a blue a blueprint of how you are at the infancy stage and then how you just mature, right? And, mm -hmm. and just say, look, you know, this is what I want to do. And you set that goal and you make it happen, you know? We mm -hmm. all got a story. We all got a story, you know? Absolutely. When you go into a bookstore, those books are stories of people, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that they had an opportunity to, to put their story on paper and someone like you and I said, we're going to buy this book, right? Right. And we're going to read this book and we may embrace it or we might say, oh, wow, you know, or we might say, well, that reminds me of me, you know what I mean? Or a situation I've been through. So um, I always encourage people, look, you know, they say, 
you know, write a book. Do whatever you want to do in life, you should be able to do it, you know, and mm-hmm. not worry about the outcome because at least you put your your foot forward, right? Look at Jay Z, right? And I use this analogy all the time, right? I use this when you look at look at the early Jay Z. He was a rapper from Marcy Projects, Brooklyn, New York, and he presented himself as quote unquote that rapper stigma. You know, he might have wore his pants below his butt, right? Timberland boots, etc. But as he transitioned or transformed, he wearing what? He wearing suits and ties, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he a billionaire, right? You know, he's doing. He's he's at he's at he's he's he's, he's he put himself in places where he probably never thought he could be, right? Mm-hmm. Some people say, well, you got a doctor. I right? say, yeah. I say, but you can get it too. If that's what you want to do, you can do it. However, you know, having that having that degree allowed me to be in some spaces that I probably wouldn't have never been in before. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to speak about the people that look like me, brown and black people, Right. Because often when decisions are made about people of color, it's made by people that don't look like us. Mm-hmm. Right? I just recently told, asked somebody, you know, having a conversation with someone. People talk about different races, and even though we're talking about the Hamas and the Palestinians and Israel, right? And so it's a real big picture of that. But one thing I want to say in the music industry, let's say that music or entertainment, entertainment industry. A lot of times you have a lot of folks who are at the helm of these organizations and they don't look like us, right? And sometimes they can be white. And if you go to their their nationality, they could be Jewish, right? However, when we play songs that that describes black women as hoes and this and B-I-T-C-H's and stuff like that, right? It's okay for people that don't look like us condone that type of music, right? Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't allow that music in their community. Not, Not at all. all. Not at right? all. And so what I say to people is that you, when Kanye West makes statements or when certain people, just recently Jay-Z made a statement on the Grammys, you know, like when people make statements, they're bold statements that Black people have to be empowered mm-hmm. and not allow other people to dictate their destiny. Period. I so agree. Often, so so often we, you know, we 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 feel like we can, you know, sing and we or we can sing and blah blah blah. But guess what? We don't make money off our music. Somebody else get rich off our music. Right. And then we and then we either, you know. And I'm knocking it, but now we working at at McDonald's, right, or or somewhere else, or or you know selling drugs or whatever the case may be. But we made somebody else rich, right, because we didn't go to school and understand the business factor, the business part of it. Mm-hmm. We just we just had a craft. We just said I can sing, but those people were like, yeah, I got you. You can sing, and I'm gonna make royalties as long as you live, or or or, or just as as long as you are under my contract. Like it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like an ownership, mm-hmm. right? And so now you have to, you know, that's where school is so important, right? Doesn't mean you have to have a doctorate. I tell every student, every kid that hey, 
You got to get an education, period. I don't care if you want to be an entrepreneur. I don't care if you want to do, be a rapper. You got to get an education. Because you can be, because, you know, I, I, again, told a, I told a young kid, uh, he want, he didn't want to go to, he didn't want to, he wanted to finish college, but his whole mindset was that I don't need college. I want to be this rapper, this person. I said, okay, you can do all that, right? But you got to pay taxes and things of that nature, right? So who going to do your taxes? Well, I get somebody to do my taxes. So, well, you can get somebody to do your taxes, but guess what? They may not pay your taxes. Mm-hmm. Take your money and keep it. Look at Mike Tyson, you know, or, or Vander Holyfield. No. You know, so even if you're not proficient in being an accountant, you should be able to make sure that, you know, your bank statement, you can reconcile your bank statement. Right. And so, you know, we, we, you know, young people, you know, I, I push education and I think that people have to be aware of their, their surroundings and their environment, no matter whether you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you want to work for someone. You know, no, I agree, bro. And I mean, you touched on a lot of different things. And as as far as like, you know, the segue to my next question, as far as how we need to, as a community, we need to pull our resources and how we need to better understand what it is we're involved in, whether it's entertainment, whether it's whatever industry, you, you know, if you're involved in it, it's called the entertainment business. It's the right. music business. You right. need to you know, you may have to spit, you know, it's imperative that you, if you're a rapper, you have, you have to be able to spit a hot 16, but right. then that hot, that 16 is going to then be turned into a song. That's going to be, that's, that's going to turn into product that they're right. going to then mass produce and sell. Right. And right. that's where the music business, if it wasn't profitable, then they wouldn't put any money behind that product in question. Right. And what we have to be willing to do is invest in you know, who we want to be investing that in every aspect of that. And that includes education. So I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. Yeah. And one of the things that we still have, you know, during the days of segregation, there was a lot of things that was wrong as far yeah. as how we were marginalized through education, how we were marginalized as far as resources in our community. But one of the things in the days of segregation we were forced to do, we were forced to support one another. Right. We were forced to work with we were we were forced to work with each other. Right. And we still have some of those ecosystems in place. Right. And one of those are the faith-based community. And then another one of those is the HBCU community. Yeah. And both of those, you know, they, they still serve us to this day. And I know you and I, we you know we share a kindred spirit for the HBCU community that is that that's largely responsible for how we were able right. to show up professionally. Right. Now, so right. wanted to just kind of give you the opportunity to touch on your HBCU journey and the part that it's played in your professional accomplishments. Yeah, you know, education, particularly when it comes to Black and Brown folks, we are underfunded from from K twelve to HBCUs, right? And HBCUs were built on the premise of this. A family, a family, right? Meaning that we couldn't go into these PWIs, right? So we had to create our own space to get our own education. And you have some schools like Morris Brown, which were were you know, uh, 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 founded by the the AME Church 
folks, St. Paul School there in Virginia. And so um, it was a family affair. Like, like HBCU didn't have like these mega, mega uh, uh, football fields. You know, they didn't have the best dormitories or residence halls or however you want to name it. Mm-hmm. But it was a family unit, right? It was a family union unit. And if you didn't have the money, you still was going to be able to go to that HBCU. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, I went to, I had an opportunity to go to some PWIs, right? But I chose to go to an HBCU. And and it was the one of the best choices I made because, again, it was a family, you know? And particularly, I had never been to a homecoming prior to coming to West Virginia State. And then when I started going to other homecomings, it's like a family, like people... People live going to their alma mater homecoming. Just like in some states where they don't have a professional football team, on Fridays and Saturdays, the whole town shuts down because mm-hmm. they want they, they to watch DuPont or Charleston High right. or Stonewall Jackson play under, under, underneath the lights down in Lady Field. You know what I'm saying? Everybody shut down. So it was that same family you know, setting for HBCUs. Everybody had that camaraderie, you know, like, hey, I went to that HBCU or my HBCU. You know, it was it was just awesome, right? The other piece was that got me to that HBCU, which went into the pen relays, right? There's a section at, at pen relays that is nothing but Greeks. Nothing but Greeks, right? I was like, wow. Um, and so that was my second invitation to sorority, the Divine Nine, or the well, I always wasn't in effect then, but you know, we had the Groove Five Groove, you had different organizations, and it was it was just a sight to see. Right? And so again, the HBCU kind of like molded you to 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 be successful, you know, because most of the teachers and most HBCUs look like us, right? And so they had that they had that mother and father like, look, this is what I'm gonna do for you to make sure you do this, right? And that just carried on because even though my mother wasn't there physically, what she instilled in me, those folks, some of those teachers, like, you know, Joey Owen's father, Joe, you know, big O, you know, he was my business teacher, you know. Um uh, Miss Odin, you know, she was an academic, she was a uh, vice president of academic affairs, right? Even if you, if your GPA fell below 2.0, she still was going to try to work with you to keep you in college. But she was going to let you know, if you, if you don't do well in this, in getting your grades up, I have no other choice but to dismiss you from the, from the school. But she didn't, she didn't, she didn't just say, hey, you, you, hey, you out of school. No, she said, look. She she would bring people into her office and have those conversations. Like your parents didn't send you here to just a party. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, when I was online, you know, Big O was one of our frat brothers, and he said, Look, I know what you're doing, but you better stay up in my class. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so at the end of the day, you know, you you know, hey, you had those folks, you know, in your back, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and from that point on, I went to another HBCU, Coppin State University. You know, one of the biggest liberal arts schools that 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 brought in nurses and educators, teachers, right? 
Then from there, I got my doctorate from Morgan State University. So throughout my life, when people say, oh, don't send your children to a public school. I raised, born and raised in a, in a public school system. Again, just because you might think if you go to a public school and that school is not, you know, not proficient, that doesn't mean you don't have to be proficient. You know, mm-hmm. I went to an HBCU. They say, oh, man, HBCUs ain't a good school. Right? Okay. Hey, I went to HBCUs. And you got doctors that come out of HBCUs. You got you got every profession that come out of HBCUs. And you don't have to go to another institution that most cases don't want you there. And two, you don't need to go to a PWI for them to identify you. Mm-hmm. You can define your own self in a setting that's more conducive for you and people can understand. So yeah, that was my journey, man. Like, and I, I mean, my daughter just graduated from Bowie State. Everybody in my family had gone to an HBCU. We were raised in public schools. And, you know, um, again, there are a ton of people that are successful uh, in, 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 a, in a public school setting, in an HBCU setting, and the, the money were underfunded for all of those, right? You, you got states right now, Maryland is one that's been sued by the four HBCUs in, 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 in Maryland because they didn't get their fair funding, right? Mm-hmm. You got, you got, you got um, just within the last two to three years, probably, that public school education is now being funded in a way that it should have been funded. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, and people before they're getting their money now, and I mean, getting new schools, right, renovating new schools, 21st century schools, right, opposed to another school that, that PWI or, or more white people went to right, or fluent people went to. But you got kids that's coming out of these college, I mean, I'm sorry, out these uh, public schools going to Morehouse, going to West Virginia State, schools that people think that. Well, if I send my son or daughter to a private school, they won't get into Morehouse or Howard or whoever. But you can go to a public school and get into those schools as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree, pay, And don't have to pay a dime. It's all about how you apply yourself. If you apply yourself and you put in a position uh, to allow you to compete on a scholastic level at any college, that's half your battle. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna learn some social skills, social skills while you're at those institutions because you see people that look like you. Right. Yeah. I think the HBCU um, experience it cultivates the student in in their entirety. So yeah. not only does it educate the kid, it also allows them to kind of find themselves, as you mentioned, internally. Yeah. Because Let's say if if you're from a community that not a lot of people look like you. So now you've always been the minority in these circles and you don't necessarily know who you are. Now let's say if you are from an inner city community and everybody around you was selling drugs, doing this, doing that, then you're like, okay, that's not me. So who am I? I think the HBCU experience allows you to find who who, who you are and who you can become. And I think that that's why one of the things you touched on is all of the different people who kind of, you know, showed up for you in those experiences, whether it was faculty members, whether it was teachers, advisors, et cetera, 
fraternity brothers, you name it. So um, what part does mentorship, because that sounds like you had a lot of mentoring along yeah. your way. So what part does mentorship play for um, in, in your day to day as far as reaching back to today's generation? Let me tell you, that is so important to me, right? Because when you look at society as a whole, right? No matter what part of the workforce you're in, you need someone that's there that's going to mold you, right? And a lot of times, people that are molding other generations of people don't look like us. Mm -hmm. They want to see them succeed, but they don't want to see, you know, people look like you and I succeed. So I believe that people of color should take a vested interest in people of color to make sure they get whatever they need, right? And this is this is a true story here. When I was going through my interview process to get my doctorate, right, it was a panel of people. A panel of people that had to do a writing sample, right? And so, and I remember this to this day. So in my mind, you know, this is what I want to do. I go through the process. And when the uh, interview is over with, and it was it was a mixture of people, so it was maybe one or two Caucasians on this panel, the rest were African Americans, right? But when it was over with this young lady, Dr. Roberts, I got up, left, she she excused herself, told me to come in after we got outside the room, she said, Look, you need this. I did not understand where she was coming from with that. But as I was moving along in my journey, my educational journey, once I got accepted, what she was saying was, you are a minority. A black man needs this education. In particular, a PhD or a doctorate, we had a 2% threshold, 2% of African-Americans uh, that have attained this, this degree, right? Mm. And so, and a black man, and so she was like, this, you need this. And it has really um, came full circle what she has said and how it has kind of, you know, one, changed me because I moved differently. I moved totally different than how I moved, you know, before I had this doctorate because it's not, it's not about, it's not Joel Bratton. It's going to be like Dr. Joel Bratton. So when you're mm-hmm. out there doing something that's not what you're supposed to do, they're going to say, this is Dr. Joel Bratton, right? And not mm-hmm. only that, other than, you know, you do represent your family as well, but you also represent that institution as well. Right. And so uh, mentorship is just, is 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 up on the top of my list of, of, um, for empowerment, you know, I'm saying it again because so often we don't we don't mold the next brother or sister, you know, and I don't think that we should put them out on the island and let them fend for themselves. I think we need to gravitate to them and help them uh, maneuver through the process of life because ultimately that's just what it is. It's mm-hmm. how I can better help you better your life, and 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 if you if you don't want to take heed to that there's a possibility that you may go in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right. Now, I agree. Now, bro, you had mentioned that 
since obtaining your PhD, there are many um, realities that you know to be that you didn't necessarily um, know them to be before, prior to obtaining that um, distinction of um, obtaining your PhD. What are some of the things, because I know a lot of times people, like you said, especially young people, oh, well, you know what? I don't need to go to college. I don't need an advanced yeah. degree. I definitely don't need a doctorate. What yeah. are some of the um, privileges that you've, in, that you've inherited as a result of having that distinction uh, bestowed on you? Well, like I said before, basically, the, the, the one thing is, is that it put me in spaces that I probably couldn't be in uh, before, right? And I know just currently and years prior, I've been at the table, I've been at the table and um, and, being, and being able to have constructive conversations with folks who don't look like me, but they're making decisions for people who do look like me. Mm -hmm. And the research would tell you, right, you know, that when people look like you, they adapt to being more successful than it coming from someone else that doesn't look like them. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and that goes in the classroom. So a lot of times people could be in a classroom and there's no African-American teachers, right? It could be a Caucasian teacher, right? However, that teacher could not really... Uh, understand the plight that an African-American went through, right? Mm -hmm. But if they was in a classroom of a person that, that looks like them, there's a great possibility that person could understand uh, understand where they came from and where they're going because the other piece is the mentorship. Mm -hmm. right? However, you have to advocate for yourself. You, you can't be a silent sufferer in a sitting class. You got to engage yourself. You got to communicate with yourself, you know? Um, and so I think this has been really um, a big part of my growth of being able to advocate for people who don't have an opportunity to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what this degree has done, right? I never at once will tell anybody that I'm betting you, right? I just chose to go, extend my education and I'm like you could do the same but again it does not make me better than you what I'm simply you know my plight was you know was to make sure that I can be in spaces that a lot of times we are shut out mm -hmm. and that's just that's just where it is right and and I think that another thing that allows us to succeed is having a a network and um, Absolutely. I think I'll tell people all the time your net worth is directly tied to your net your network exactly and as you mentioned with Jay-Z if he would have just surrounded himself by people who were still in those same circumstances he grew up in he may have unfortunately made a left instead of a right and he might have found himself right back in Mars right back, yeah. but you know he took a, he took the people who wanted to ascend he took those people with him and they all begin to develop a new mindset and begin to realize like, hey, we can navigate those circumstances, then we can navigate these boardrooms. Right. And I think the same holds true for somebody from inner cities and, and things of that nature. And I know one of the one of the things that has served me well, I'm sure it served you well. I wanted to just have you kind of touch on it. Um, you know, one of the things that we have the distinction of being as members of you know, the greatest fraternity in the world, Omega Sun Five Fraternity Incorporated. And, but I also, you know, I, I, I want to 
shout out to other, you know, divine nine members, because, yeah. you know, you don't have to necessarily be in our fraternity. You can be in another fraternity. You can be in another sorority. But I think what the divine nine does is a community within a community. Exactly. So you have the HBCU community. And then within that community is the divine nine. So right. what part has the divine nine played in your ability to expand your reach through your network? Right. I, I, I'm going to pause that for one second, but I'm going to say this. And it came to my mind. Mm-hmm. I was watching an interview with Jay-Z, not Jay-Z, but Charles Barkley and Dr. J, right? And Charles Barkley said that, you know, Dr. J told him, like, Charles, don't wear no, don't wear no uh, sweatsuits and stuff to the games. Dr. J always wore a suit. He said, Charles, how many cars that you do you have? Charles, I got five. He said, can you drive all five of them? Right? He said, man, get about two cars. Right? And so he asked him, how many houses do you have? And Charles said, like, two houses, maybe two or three. He said, you only need one house. You only can sleep in one house. Right? And so, the, and then there was another rapper said that, he said this, I don't know, I can't remember who it was, but what he was saying, they was interviewing him as well, and he said, my billionaire friends don't wear gold chains and gold teeth in their mouth. So it was a mm. perception. The perception. Right. right? A lot of people have this, this glamour and glitz on them. But they're still the same person. So mm-hmm. if you're going to make that money, you got to be able to spend it uh, in a way that is going to, you know, it's going to allow you to make more money. Because if you continue, if you could continue to have this narrative of gold teeth and pants below your butt, people want to, they're going to treat you a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, your next question, as it relates to the divine nine, I just went to a, C, a CIAA kickoff and the, the lady was the, the Merlin president for Bank of America in the Maryland region, right? And they're one of the big sponsors for uh, the CIAA, right? And she said that one of the things that, that she jumped on the opportunity to support the CIAA is because one, she went to a CIAA school and she makes it her point, right? To hire people from HBCUs in particular her school, right? There was another uh, conversation with a young lady, she was a Delta, right, to this question. And she was a graduate of St. Augustine, right? And she worked, she was a, uh, I don't know, executive director for the Social Security Administration here in Baltimore. She did a job fair at her college and hired a lot of African-Americans from her college to Social Security, right? And so when we talk about being a part of this Divine Nine, um, whether just the Bros or just other Greek organization, is that we, there's a network piece. And a lot of times we support one another when it comes to jobs or just resources. And so you're correct. I think that a part of your growth is not just living in a silo. 
It's about networking and being around people that are like-minded. It's a biblical saying, being equally yoked, right? And, and, and it doesn't mean that you're better than anybody, but you want to be around like-minded people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get married to a person and y'all might not be equally yoked. Y'all might not be compatible. And so you're going to have problems, right? So you want to be around people who who not only um, that you can communicate with, but you're going to grow with. You know, like you said, you can't be with somebody and they still, you know, thinking about something else in terms of growth. And you saying, hey, I, I need to shoot for the stars. So you got it. They got to come together. It got to be a support system, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a relationship or even when you're in these networks, right? Um, because those networks are the ones that propel you to where you need to be. Whether you're in a Greek organization, I'm a Mason, so whether you're in a Mason, right, or Eastern Star, you're part of the Lynx, you're part of Jack and Jill. When you're on these organizations and you put those things on your resume and somebody see that, it's it's, it's, it's a 100% opportunity chance that you may get selected. Then it's Mm -hmm. up to you to present yourself to say, I need this, but they're going to get you in the door. But you got to make yourself, um, yeah, you got to finish the race. I agree, man. And that's the whole premise of this podcast because it's like, you know what? I know there's a lot of people, whether younger people, you know, rising entrepreneurs or proven professionals, there's a lot of people that, hey, you know, we're at an age where people are retiring, we're, yeah. at, you know, or people are m- making career changes, or maybe some people are just um, segueing into the, 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 the uh, workplace. So I realized that not only do I have um, some knowledge to um, share with others, but so too are people in my network. So that's what kind of led me to creating this podcast because I'm like, you know what? There's some, a lot of powerful people in my network who all represent black excellence and you don't have to necessarily come from entertainment, which a lot of people associate me with because I've been in entertainment for over 20 years, but it's the entertainment business. So I've met a lot of different people that have nothing to do with entertainment. It's strictly business, whether wall street or whatever the case may be. I want to be able to show people like, listen, these are different things that you have to understand. It's not just about what you see. You have to understand more importantly, how that person got to who it is you're seeing. Exactly. And, you know, when you're talking about a flight, you know, one of the most difficult things for that flight is at the very beginning, you know, that, 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 that plane that is beginning this ascent, you know, hence prepare for takeoff. So I want to give people the opportunity to, inherit the game that was so pre- freely given to me. And right. and I will say, and, and and again, a lot of that help, it doesn't just come from people who look like, you know, you and I, I mean, right. I got a lot of help from people who um, have different backgrounds as far as nationalities, in particular people from yeah. the Jewish community. And, yeah. you know, and I, and I, and what I was able to do, I was able to see how they were very intentional in working together. Right. And so what I said, you know what, I now understand how business is handled on a, on a extremely high level. Like one of my mentors was Walter Yetnikoff, the former uh, president and CEO of what was known as CBS records at the time. We now know it as Sony music entertainment because he engineered mm-hmm. to sell it a company for $2 right. billion. Right. So to be able to have those people, um, 
you know, at your disposal and, you know, rest in peace. He's, he's no longer with us. Right. But I said, you know what? I want to take that, 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 that mindset, that expertise. I want to bring that back to my community and, right. and I want to be intentional. And one of the things that, and, 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 and bruh, it, it, it saddens me to say it, but it was people who, who were part of their circle who right. kind of shared with me, you know, what I may want to consider as far as, you know, what my aim should be. Cause we were coming in and me and a friend of mine, uh, who's still a, you know, colleague and we, you know, and, and shout out to him, Bruce George, um, the um, founder of the geniuses common movement, as well as the co-founder of death poetry jam. We mm. were looking to pitch a spoken word magazine and, you know, we were like, oh, you know, it, it speaks to a number of different um, audiences, black, white, Latino, this audience, that audience. And then with this person who was the associate general counsel, uh, gentleman's name is Mickey Hyman. He was the associate general counsel of CBS Incorporated. Right. Another gentleman, he was the founder. He was the, he was the founder and chairman of United Artists Home Entertainment. And they said, you know, Terry, listen, show me somebody who can't you distinctively define their audience and I'll show you somebody who doesn't have an audience. He mm. said, you don't have the bandwidth or resources to capture that number of people. You're talking general market, which you're going to need an onslaught of resources at your disposal. He said, you want to find, you know, what's going to be, you know, I say niche. Some people say niche, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. what's going to be your area of expertise that's going to make you a subject matter expert. Let's face it. People aren't going to pay you for things that they can do. So now you walk in the room with a certain matter of expertise who you can speak to them in a way that, okay, they find value in that now, you know, and more importantly, like you said, like how people are going to, you, you want people to see you in a favorable manner and then they're going to associate you with something based right. on what you look like. So right. if you come in looking melanated and you're talking to them about, you know, all of the value that the black community has to offer, right. all, you know, as far as, our spending power, as far as our trends, as far as how we influence culture, how we influence, um, you know, the popularity and products and things of that nature. If you can come in and you can speak, speak truth to power as it pertains to the value that we have now, people who have the ability to make all of what it is you want to achieve a reality, they'll have, a, they'll, they'll be more inclined to listen because who can tell them better uh, about us than someone from our community, right. you know? Right. So that's kind of one of the things that I, I and again, I, I will say, I, I learned a lot of that from people who don't look like right. me. And now that's why I said, if I don't know it, how many people don't know it? Right. So now right. I want to share that to as many people who do look like me. So, so, so they can have the same opportunity that I've had as far as, you know, you know what it is they want to find themselves doing professionally. So as we close out, bro, yeah. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to leave our viewers and listeners with three takeaways on uh, what can help them prepare for takeoff? You know, three things. I think based on this interview, you know, you know, is don't lose yourself in the struggle. That's one. Um, also, you know, if you have the opportunity, help someone. Move them, when we say pay, pay it forward, you know, find a pathway from them to be able to uh, uh, be valued in this in this community, right? And and lastly, you know, um, just you know, just just keep doing. Just take keep use your word. Take off. Just just do do what you want to do, and, and and take off. Like like don't 
Don't let nothing hold you back, you know? But they say nothing can stop me. You know what I'm saying? We're on my way up, right? So hey, you got you gotta you gotta, you know, life what we have known it to be, but it doesn't have to be where we can go in the future. I agree, man. I tell people all the time, the biggest obstacle that you're gonna face is the person in the mirror. You yes. know, people talk themselves out of more blessings that are were intended um for them. <laughs> then, you know, I mean, I'm sure we could even count. And yeah. I, I'm like, listen, to your point, like if 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 it comes to mind, if it's in, if it's rooted in your spirit and that's something that you're passionate about, right. no matter what the likelihood of succeeding at that may be, pursue that. I right. mean, that could very well be God. Any, like, you know, the old people have shared this with us and then we share it with the younger people. Right. You can do anything through, um, through, you know, through, you know, we're Christians. So through Christ Jesus, right. and however, you know, and, and whatever religion you may practice, you know, if you have that um, belief in a higher, higher power, then you have to have the mindset of, I can do whatever I want to do. Right. And if I don't have the belief in myself, why should someone else believe in me? Exactly. You know, yeah. so, yeah. so bro, I want, again, I wanted to thank you for joining us. And also I wanted to give you an opportunity once more to um, let people know where they can get your book, the name of your book. And yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know if you can give them a signed copy. Your yeah. brothers, walk us through that. Man, look, look, I, I don't see if I can pull it back up, but you know, it's a glad, but hey, I'll give you a signed copy. You can go to the website, www.joelbrattonjr.com. That's it. Go to it, go there and um, fill out the information and then we'll, we'll send this book to you. And they'll get a signed copy when they signed go to your website? Signed copy and everything. Also, I have on the website, I have merchandise. So you can get hats, you can get T-shirts. Um, and one of the T-shirts say, um, education is a must. And one, one of the T-shirts, Black Fathers Matters. So go on the website, dot. JoelBrattonJr.com. Very simple. My name and purchase your book. Hey, bro, that's you know what? That's that's simple and plain, man. Listen, right. you know, you want you want to get them to another level just by way of saying, look, let's I got this information. I put it in a book, and you know, you, you're gonna help all those individuals prepare for takeoff. So that's bro, right. salute to you. I want to give you your flowers. Yeah. Congratulations on all your success. And I'm sure that. You know, you've poured into our listeners, into our viewers, yeah. and I, I'm certain that just from this conversation, this is just tipping the iceberg on what's in that book. So, man, right. hey, hey, just wanted to, you know, encourage all of our listeners and, and, and um, subscribers and whether you're watching us on Spotify or you're listening on Audible, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, yeah. iHeartRadio, Pandora, um, the list goes on. You know, right. make certain that you get this book. It's a must read and, you know, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. And as you know, every week we're dropping new episodes at 7 a.m. Every Wednesday, you're going to see individuals such as Dr. Joel Bratton and others, whether they're proven professionals or rising entrepreneurs. But without question, all of our guests are going to definitely help you prepare for takeoff. Thanks for joining us. 